Difficulties, though we got this thing shaking. Still now. Shaking. We had some air difficulties, so we was in the air for hell long. Like we really took off at two and got here at like five thirty. Like really stressing on the Uber, like bro, you need to get here right Who now. Who likes flying in this? Does anybody in this room like flying? Yeah, exactly. Bro, like I for real, like I haven't prayed. I know we on like a Catholic campus. I haven't prayed for hell long. Like I went to, <laughs> bro, I'm serious. I went to De La Salle and Concord. Like it's a Catholic high school. You feel me? And I was like, man, I'm about to pray again. Like, hell with turbulence. Like, yeah, it was not cool at all. I was not rocking with it. Yeah, I don't know if any of you here have had, like, a near-death experience, but there comes this point where you just accept whatever's about to happen is about to happen. And there was that one point when the plane just started shaking. I was like, damn. And I was sitting next to a flight attendant. I was sitting next to a flight attendant, and I saw her get worried. I was like, oh, No, hey, you want to know when I knew shit was getting real was when the white people were scared. I'm like, Oh shit, it's really over. Like, they why people don't really have that many fears? Like, yeah. like, this white woman next to me was like, oh, oh, shit, oh, shit is going down. And we were slapping some, I was slapping some music too. I don't know about you. Was you listening to music when that happened? Nah, uh, bro, I was chilling. I was listening to music. I heard that shit. I was like, oh shit. Like, you know, you, you could tell when a white person yelled. It just felt, oh, like, damn. You know it's real. But Long story fuck. short, we went through a lot to be here with y'all today, so. I'm super grateful to be in the room with all these beautiful black faces and all my black people. Before we, get, yeah, before we even get started, we want to make this claim that this is a safe space for all black people. And if you're not with the liberation of all black people, this ain't the space for you. You should probably cut it. Yeah. Doors right over here. All black people. So what we mean by that, you feel me, is like it ain't just for black men. You feel me? It's for all of us. All of us or none of us, right? I know you probably see two niggas like it's like, but we, we really about the liberation of all black people. You feel me? Like, all of us got to be liberated. And if all of us ain't liberated, we ain't free. Hold up. You already finishing my sentences. You rocking. You rocking. It's good. It's good. So, you know, we got a, we got a good show in store. It's been a long-ass day. I ain't even finna lie. Like, it's been hella long. But, episode you know, 28. It's episode. How many of y'all listen to Hella Black? It's okay if you don't. You ain't got to lie. You know, okay. You're going to learn today. So, we're going to have some new listeners. You know, we on iTunes. SoundCloud, you feel me? SoundCloud for free. iTunes for free. We ain't on title yet. Jay-Z ain't fucking with us yet. Oh. Bruh, for real, all my Jay-Z tap in. Rock Nation. It be you your know? own niggas. Trying to tell you. It be hey, we're going to talk about how now, now all your kid folk is your skin folk. All right, for sure. Yeah, we, I mean, even if it was bad, we probably still, I don't yeah. know. I can't change the way I talk. You if feel you me? listen to Hella Black, you know that. We always <laughs> get shit, so. Yeah, we got some notes and shit, but, like, usually, like, we, it's awkward for us making notes because usually we don't make notes. Like, if I'm keeping it the stack, like we just get a bottle and pull up to and wherever we pull up. You know, we've yeah. had some bad episodes, but you know, we got five stars on iTunes. You feel me? So we we rock it. Yeah. But you know, so putting a putting an outline together feel kind of weird because we usually just kind of talk, like on the drive over to wherever we recording at. You feel me? Yeah. We just talk. You know, but it's I'm very grateful to be here. You know, have with black people at LMU. Come on, black people exist on PWRs. Yeah, I went to a PWI in Idaho. So, Ooh. y'all know, y'all can guess what that was like. <laughs> so I never thought I'd be at one speaking. Uh, what the fuck? For those that don't know, this is like a really big moment for us just because, like, Hella Black started on, like, a very authentic way. But, like, we had a, a studio, a very small studio made from, you know, like, like if you go to, a, uh, like, a port and you see those, like, containers, those shipping containers, that's where our first, our first studio was in a shipping container. And it was, like, seven of us pitching in on rent. And that's where we recorded 
not our first episode, but our second episode that's really like transcended the Hella Black podcast for us. So I would I would have never thought yeah. that some students, some black students would be inviting us onto their campus to break bread with them. Like bro, we just gotta eat chicken for free. Like man, I've done a lot of black shit in my life, but pulling up and having just hella soul food spread out across <laughs> picnic tables, oh, man, to do a podcast. Yeah, I've, I've never seen that. Ever. Hella lit, you feel me? We from yeah. the Bay, you feel me? We say hella. We say you feel me a little bit too much. I don't know. Somebody commented was roasting my ass like, "This nigga Blake say you feel me too much." I'm like, "Bro, you ain't know the section we from. You feel me? Like it's just like." <laughs> so again, for the folks that don't know about Hella Black, Hella Black is a podcast that's aimed at uh, giving black black folks a radicalized black political education. Uh, I think how we started was, I don't know, B, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but both of us were like super into media at the time, and we would see stories on the news or read articles or listen to other podcasts, and it was really nine times out of ten some shit that was either pushing the white patriarchy or the black patriarchy, you know, some uh, white male supremacy or some black male supremacy shit. So we was like, how can we really create some content that's really about the liberation and the focus of all black people? So that's how Hella Black started for us. Right, because, you know, political education is real important. How can you talk about a revolution without having political education, right? So it's like, even for myself, I went to UC Berkeley, was a student athlete, right? But education, like, I, like you ain't really learning about your history when you come to school. You feel me? Like, these are colonial institutions. UC Berkeley, for instance. Joseph Lacan was the first president of UC Berkeley. He was a slave owner, right? He wasn't just a slave owner. That nigga was really like, all right, I'm going to protect the Confederacy. He armed all the motherfuckers up. He's like, ah, he was really the person who gave all them the Confederate straps, right? And he the first president at UC Berkeley. So what does it mean when we're black people in a, in a white space, right? Yeah. Like, are we at a place of learning or are we at a place of indoctrination? You feel me? Are we supposed to go to school and work at Goldman Sachs and the tech company? Or are we going to go to school and use the tools that we learned here and take the resources back to the hood? You feel me? So it's like that's that's one of the reasons why we started Hella Black was to start political education because a lot of times like like we have a privilege to be in this room, all of us, you feel me? Like not everybody in here is students, but to be a student, to be a black student, you, you have some privilege. You feel me? You're on a, a protected campus, like there's security, you feel me? Like I was hoping they wasn't gonna give us all trouble coming in here, you feel yeah, me? But exactly. like, you know, it's like a lot of privilege being able to go to school, a lot of privilege going to be being able to be in college, right? So, like, you for needed me, to make some shit that was accessible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, accessible political education. You know, we ain't perfect, but we try. I mean, we still kind of trash. You know, just kind of trash. Just know. said, man, that's like inevitable. Yeah. You're gonna be a little trash. I think we've almost <laughs> came to like compostable though. Like, you know, I'm, so I'm low key like, recycled. I'm recycled. Like, I'm recycled at this point. Us and you know, we gonna grow something back and not be hella harmful. Like, we ain't plastic. You feel me? So. <laughs> yeah, man. But two, one thing we wanted to honor too is the is the land that we own right now. You feel me? We got native indigenous land. I believe it's uh, Tongva. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. So that's the land we own right now. You feel me? Like all this land we own is fucking stolen by white settlers who came over here. They wasn't immigrants. They was colonizers, right? And that language is important. You feel me? Stole the land, committed acts of genocide, slavery, and this is where we're at, right? So I think it's very important to uh, acknowledge our indigenous family, right? And I think black and, black and indigenous people, we have a, a special bond, right? Because you can't talk about liberation without talking about the land that we own and the people that was enslaved on this land and built this land. You feel me? 
So we just wanted to honor the indigenous people before we started. So shout yeah. out to y'all for having us. For those that don't know, we shout like to start baby, off. Shout out her, yeah. uh, Harambe, did I say it right? My auntie would be hell mad if I'm like, we have Kwanzaa every year. Like, I said Harambe wrong. Like, she'd be like, Blake, what you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> so shout out to all the folks that made this happen for us. Uh, we like to start off each episode with a segment that we call Black Joy. Um, and it's really just a, a time for us to honor the hella black shit that happened to us in between the last episodes. So me and Blake going to kick it off. And then if we can get like two or three folks well, hold on, hold to on, share. Why, why is black joy important? What about, what about white joy? I mean, I ain't, I'm assuming y'all can guess why white joy isn't, isn't important. <laughs> to me, at least. I mean, everything is, every, everything is white joy. That's why black joy is important. Because every, you know, when you wake up white and you walk out into the world, you know, the world is your oyster. <laughs> there are all these opportunities. For black folks, we got to, you know, be two times as good. So when we are out here being two times as good, I think it's important that we acknowledge that. Yes, Lord. So, yeah, me and B going to start it off with some black joy. Um, and then if we could, like, pass the mics around to two or three people, we really appreciate it. You want to kick it off, B? Put me on the spot. Come on, like, man. I think, honestly, being here is, like, my black joy moment. You feel me? Having a, a week of work, but just... Really looking back on like how the the beginnings of this podcast, like we never thought we would be doing shit like this at all. You feel me? We never thought we'd be. I don't know. We had a feature in Playboy. We had. You feel me? Like, you know, we did a live show in Oakland, and to see how far we come and just like think about where we were back then. Like, nigga, I had no job. Like, I was jobless. Like, <laughs> you feel me? Yeah. So to just reflect and see how far we came and just putting in effort, you know, following your heart. You know, that's that's my black joy moment. Also, I think. I said this on the last episode, but my great auntie, she turned 90. My auntie, great auntie Mindy, you feel me? She's found a, a Martin Luther King Middle School in West Oakland. I'm an educator myself. Like, I'm a, I'm a teacher, you feel me? So, like, just seeing all the educators in my family, like, and knowing that, like, I'm on this path, too. I didn't choose it. I did not want to be a teacher. Like, that shit hard, bro. Like, for real. Like, I know if there's some professors in here, they're like, yeah. Like, especially if you're a black professor, like, man, like, they try to really check everything you do. Like, oh, this isn't academic enough, you know? Oh, this this language you're using, like, nah, bruh, this is how I talk, you feel me? That was my black joy. What about yours, bruh? Mine's a similar being in this space. Uh, I told you before I had, like, mixed feelings about it just because I'm critical of folks that do shit like this. I feel like so many people have tried to, like, make money off the movement, go do, like, book tours, go do college shit. This is my first time ever speaking at a school for some money. i be real. I do everything I do for free. Um, so this is, like, my first time being somewhere for some money, and I felt hella weird about it. Uh, but like being here now, I have a lot of joy in my heart just seeing all the beautiful people in this space. And again, you know, Blake put something in my ear where he was saying we can be critical of ourselves so that we make sure we don't make the same mistakes as the folks that we critical of. Because you see too many people that get to really make money off this shit, right? Like they talk about all the work that's going on. They'll talk about um, black trans folks, black queer folks, black disabled folks, but not doing nothing to really help them. You know what I'm saying? So I just want to make sure that I don't fall into that space, which is why I was worried about coming here. But I'm going to make sure I hold myself accountable and keep, you know, staying in the field. But to be in here with all these beautiful black people, that brought me a lot of joy. That's what's up. Anyone want to come up and share, you know, their moments of joy? Like, we think it's important to share joy, you feel me? Because especially in this white supremacist society where we have a, I don't even know his name, it's like Trump or some shit, you feel me? That orange Cheeto looking ass motherfucker, you feel me? Like, so and Blake said anyone. I'm gonna be real, not anyone not for anyone. sure. You know what I mean black when I say people, anyone, though, you feel me? For the black people in the room. I saw him right here. You wanna come over here? Will you say your name to everybody? Hi, I'm Leah. Hi. Uh, 
so my friend Hannah and I have been like meeting because we've been wanting to start a podcast for like the past like month and a half. And um, a few days ago, she texted me and was like, bro, like I just saw someone post on their Snapchat story about this podcast called Hello Black coming through the campus. Hey. And we were like, wait, what? So the fact that like one, just being here, once again, like just the privilege of going to school here is really amazing. Um, Cause I live in Nashville, so I'm like all the way across the country. But then two, being able to find someone with like similar creative interests to me. And like also like having this moment to hear you guys talk and see like how far you guys have come and like hopefully get a lot of insight from you guys. So I think it's really cool like just seeing you guys here speaking because it just goes to show that when you put your mind to something, it really is possible. Don't be shy. We heard y'all yeah. in here talking before it started. <laughs> don't be quiet now. We heard y'all talking, so I know y'all talk. I do this with my class. I'm like, I don't mind silence. Like, silence is cool. Like, I ask a question, everybody look at me. I'm like, the show, bang. Can we just get one more person? One more person? Not one more person. Oh, right here. There we go. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, what's happening? All right, appreciate y'all for sharing. Um, so now we can like get into our episode. Yeah, bro, you, just, got the, you got this do rag on, bro. I heard yeah. you went to the barbershop today. Yeah. Bro. You ain't even showing your line, bro. That's disrespectful to your barber, bro. <laughs> I brought, I brought, I didn't bring a brush, which is why I don't have my rag off. Um, <laughs> And I don't know somebody my Somebody in here got a brush from my man's so I'm, I'm still not Let me tell y'all This this. Nah exactly Like bro what I'm not using y'all bro That's out I'm definitely not using nobody brush in here I love y'all I'm not using anyone's brush But yeah um, Also my rag is like comfort for me bro Like you know If you know if you're wearing scarves and shit Do rags like I'm chill right now So calm myself down But um So I had a situation early I had a situation earlier today uh, at this at the barbershop and I should have known better because you know one thing you learn if you grow up in barbershops is you never talk sports you never talk religion you never talk politics and I did some dumb shit today and I ignored that and I just had a situation where there was just I've been going to the same barber since I was 15 years old like niggas like my uncle for real been going to the same barbershop uh, so me and him we always talk game but when it's me and him it's different because he could really listen and while I have no other men in there really pumping his head up full of bullshit but this is one of the instances today where there was somebody else in there. I haven't met this guy before, but um, we ended up on this topic of him raising a, a black daughter, and, you know, I was telling him how, like, that's, I I don't have any kids, but I'm assuming, like, that's one of the hardest jobs in the world is to raise somebody who's going to most likely be at, you know, like, the bottom of the totem pole in America. I'm like, you know, raising a black woman is probably the hardest thing you could do. Um, and so from that conversation, it kind of just bounced around, and we got on the topic of, I guess, like, the black male experience versus the black woman experience, and I got onto a situation where... I was telling them that, you know, like being a black woman in America is way harder than being a black man in America. And, you know, he had, he made it, he was like, uh, I don't know. So then I'm like, okay, well, nigga, I'm going to give you some facts. <laughs> I'm like, black women are more likely to be a victim of a violent crime. Black women are more likely to die giving birth than white women, Hispanic women, Asian women. Um, and black women are more likely to be more educated and make less money in the workplace, right? So these are just three facts. These are not things I'm just saying off the top of my head. Y'all can really go research this. I try not to just... I know it's a research institution, yeah. you feel me? So you can, you know, pull Yeah, y'all go ahead. Y'all college students, y'all go do the research, right? <laughs> so I told this nigga all those things, not theory. I gave him facts. 
And this nigga was like, oh, I still don't know. And for me, I'm like, damn, bro, that's like me telling you, like, yo, that gas station where it says the dollar amount, like, yo, they charging $2 a gallon in here. And you like, eh, I think it's two forty-seven. But, yeah, and that was, man, I know, like, black women, I'm pretty sure y'all deal with it. Not pretty sure. I know y'all deal with this shit day in and day out. And I found myself at the barbershop just, like, pissed, right? Hella pissed, hella frustrated. But then even then, I started thinking about, like, okay, I'm upset but at the end of the day, I don't have to fall victim to this nigga's logic, right? Because I still have privilege as a black cishead male. I'm still going to be able to really have my way just like he is, right? You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. That was just an experience for me today that, I've, although as I get better with my politics and understanding the world and, like, being more radicalized, I really understand um, the privilege that I have as a black straight male in America. And for so long, they've been telling us this lie, like, the black man is the most oppressed person in America. We're the most targeted. That's bullshit. I'm learning that day in and day out. But it, it was really wild to see, bro. After giving him facts, to still just ignore everything I said. Like I've never, I never felt that way before. Then I'm like, damn. So this is what it's like. Like this is for. So this is what it's like. And even then, just having the privilege. My privilege in that moment was just having to be upset and not fall victim to any of the shit that he was saying. You know what I'm saying? So that that was just a, a, a eye-opening experience for me today. It was wild. It had, me, it had me thinking about all the privilege that I really do have. Yeah. yeah. Like, we all, you feel me, like, when we started, we talked about, like, we all had privilege, you feel me? So, like, both of us as two black cis-hat men, you feel me? Me, I'm light-skinned, you feel me? Colorism, right? So, I'm light-skinned, being light-skinned has given me a lot of privileges, right? Growing up middle class, give me privileges. Going to a college institution, give me privileges, right? So, I think it's important that we think about, that's why intersectionality is hella important, you feel me? Shout out Crenshaw, Kimberly Crenshaw, you feel me? Like, that's hella important because we talk about oppression, especially, like, in the black community, it's like, there's always that one, like, I'm, I'm gonna say it. There's always that one black man who's like, think he know everything in the space. And it's like, oh yeah, it's, yeah, black, race first. I'm like, how are you supposed to be a race first, like, but race and gender work at the same time? Like, am I just supposed to be black and what? That, that don't, you feel I me? mean, that's a privilege in itself to be able to tell somebody to ignore another side of them, right? Right. Yeah. So I think it's real important, you feel me, we think about different, the different structures of oppression that people go through, you feel me? Class, that's hella big, you feel me? Like, ableism, yeah. right? One of the reasons why we didn't want to start without two mics is because we also know, like, hard people might not be able to hear, you feel me? Right, so, like, having events and having microphones is important, you feel me? Like, even, like, the way we talk sometimes can be hella ableist, too. Like, hey, bro, I see that. Well, first of all, not everybody can see, right? And I heard that, and I was like, damn. I or that's about that. or or when people be like that's crazy, right? You know? Not yeah. thinking about mental health, invisible disabilities, right? Oftentimes, even professors. I remember, I, you know, I played rugby. I was thinking about it on the plane. I was telling D, I was like, I played rugby here against LMU. Y'all were hella soft when I played. You know, we <laughs> <laughs> we won. You feel me? We ran it up. You know what I'm saying? Um, but when I was playing rugby, you know, it's a it's a rough sport. So I had concussions. You feel me? I'm trying to take tests. And I'm like, I'm literally in the disabled students program at UC Berkeley because of my concussions. And my professor is like, I don't believe you. You need to take this test tomorrow. I'm like, bro, you tripping. I'm like, nah, that ain't gonna happen, right? But like, you know, there's a lot of invisible disabilities like mental health, PTSD, depression, ADHD, right? That oftentimes, learning disabilities that um, people live with. And we, we don't necessarily, I don't wanna say see because not everybody can see, but I gotta acknowledge. Acknowledge. Yeah. See? You feel me? Like, it's important to be critical. Like, we even critical up here ourselves of each other. You feel me? So that's, that's how we try to ride. Yeah, so I, I think the gist of all that is uh, just 
trying to under not trying to it's the it's the importance of understanding the role that privilege plays in like our day in and day out experience. And I think when we in movements like this, when I say the movement, I mean like liberation, right? When you're doing the liberation work, I think a lot of times um, that privilege is something that gets ignored. Uh, so that's why you see us up here talking about it. And that's why you see us pushing the the motto of like all of us or none of us. Because in this work, it's super easy to get caught up in what's going on with yourself. If I look at my struggle as just like, purely as like, oh, I need to do what's best for black men. And there's so many, not even just black men, like cishead black men, right? There's so many people that I'm forgetting about, you know? Shout out to black women, shout out to black queer folks, because all these things I'm saying, like, it's something that I learned from them, you feel me? This is something that Facts. I'm, you know, re-saying, you feel me? Yeah. So shout out to all them, you feel me? I feel like all my politics have been shaped by, like, black trans, black queer folks, black uh, disabled folks, for sure. Like, that's where I get, like, the most of my game from. That's all, that's all I read these days. There's no reason for me to read anything that a man has to say. There's no, there's no reason. I can't. Yeah, I can't think of one. Can you? You ain't gonna read my articles, bro. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I have a chapter coming out soon, man. Now, now I feel you though. <laughs> but I think that's why, like, you think about the Black Lives Matter movement, right? And we're talking about privilege. It's like when you think about the Black Lives Matter movement, who do you think about first? We, we can just shout out names. When we think about like victims of police terrorism and police violence, who do we think about first? I'm gonna think about uh, Eric Gardner, Trayvon, Trayvon, Mike Brown, yeah. Oscar Grant, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, Emmett Till. But predominantly, it's like you know, black boys, right, and black men, right. Is that a fair assumption to say? Yeah. Like, we can talk back to each other, you feel me? Like, if you agree, you can say, yeah, if you don't agree, you can nah, bro, you tripping, you feel me? So, I would say, you know, it's like you think about specifically, right, like, in Berkeley, Kayla Moore was a black trans woman who was murdered by Berkeley police, right? Choked in a very similar fashion as Eric Garner, right? But we know about Eric Garner, but we don't know about Kayla Moore, right? Kayla Moore is a black trans woman with a disability, right? They said um, that she had schizophrenia, right? But we know Eric Garner, we know I can't breathe, but we don't oftentimes, those stories don't become major public events. Right? And that's a really, I guess it speaks to the, uh, the testament of white privilege, right? Like even after death, you still see privilege playing a role in the way that their stories are covered, the way that these people are remembered, right? Like you see seeing cishead, boys and men being remembered, being the face of movements when we have just as many black trans women, black queer folks falling victim to the same stuff, to the same stuff. Yeah. And even today I saw on Twitter, it was an instance, I don't know where it was at, I don't want to like give y'all false facts, but I saw a situation where at some school, like they damn near pulled the hinges off the door to remove a transgender student from the girls bathroom. It was wild. Have any, have any of y'all seen that today on Twitter? I couldn't imagine, bro. I really, I really couldn't imagine. Like that's like, you think of like, and it's wild how we really perpetuate the same actions and same systems as like these settler white folks. You feel what I'm saying? Like think about, you think back to Jim Crow. You know what I'm saying? Where black folks couldn't use certain shit, where black folks couldn't use certain, go to certain restaurants, couldn't drink off certain white water fountains. It's like people can understand that, but you can't understand what's wrong with removing a transgender girl from a girl's bathroom. 
That's wild to me. Think about how violent that is. Bro, that's that's wild. And you'll see you'll see folks that look like us underneath the comments like, yeah, that's right. Like that's the most that that really leaves me baffled. I really be perplexed. Like, how can you understand what's wrong for you can see what's wrong in treating somebody, mistreating someone for the color of their skin, you know what I'm saying? But you can't see the problem in treating someone violently based on gender, based on sexuality. That'd be having me lost, bro. It's something I still haven't been able to understand. But you're still out here, but you're talking about some freedom and liberation. Shit is wild. Not all skin is your kin. That's something I learned in college. Like Facts. Like, they could look like you, they could talk like you, they might, you know, shake a hair like you. That don't mean they family. That don't mean they rocking with you. You feel me? I don't know. I mean, we had this first, uh, you know, black president. Shout out, shout out, shout out Obama. Obama in chief. Uh, Shout him out. We say Obama because he dropped more bombs than any other fucking president, right? Trump might catch up to him because Trump just be on some other shit. But it's like, you know, we all be like, oh, Obama, like, hope. I go, I, I, I drank that hope. I was drunk as fuck off that You can pull up some of this like, nigga's tweets, probably. <laughs> <laughs> this nigga was out of pocket for real. <laughs> he was for sure on the Obama train. I was for sure like, yes, we can. I was like, yes, my sisters and brothers, we can too. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, nigga. But it's like, you know, you look at Obama, and I think it's, it's important that, like, we don't even think about race, right? If you look at just somebody's actions, straight actions, Right, deported most the most undocumented folks. Right, dropped the most bombs. Dropped the bomb bombs drone program. Built up a whole drone program. Signed a Blue Lives Matter bill. Like taking our race, what would you call that person? Piece of shit. Yeah, facts. I would say a white supremacist. I don't. don't For sure, that nigga's an op. For sure, he's an op. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he told he told black people in Baltimore, and you don't gotta agree with us, you know, but he told black people in, in Baltimore after the murder of Freddie Gray, right? Y'all just need to pull your pants up and stop rioting. But then when old girl was speaking for the um the the, the mass shooting that happened at what school? Rest in peace to the students that lost their lives. What school was that? Was that in Florida? Parkland. Parkland. And who's the white girl that's been like the face of that movement? Whoever that whoever that white girl. Or, or, I don't want to call her white. I don't know. I don't. Know. Is she white? Whoever the non-black person was that was involved in the face of that movement, he was for sure commending them. For sure commending them. I mean, I remember after uh, there was a, I mean, school shooting is like it's hard to even remember because in this white supremacist society, it's like you have everything going for you, but somehow you still like white folks just shoot up schools. What the fuck is? I mean, yeah, white fragility, right? But like, I remember Obama after I think it was it's Stony Creek. Is that the right? Yeah, I remember after that, like he was crying, right? Or he did a he did a media conference and he had tears. And don't get me wrong, like that's sad. Like death, like death is sad. Like that shit's sad. But why do you have tears for that, but you don't have tears for Mike Brown? You don't have tears for Freddie Gray. Does all death matter, or does like only white death matter to Obama? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When we, we when we when we're critical of black folks like this, especially especially black folks that have been like idolized. A lot of people don't like that. Like, my great-grandma, if she heard the way I talked about Obama, she would be sick. Like, she would be pissed. Bro, when we did the show at Oakland, my great-auntie, like, she was sitting right there in the front. I was talking about Obama, and I was talking about black cops, and she was looking at me like this. Like, like she was for real not fucking with me. I think it's because, 
us as black folks have been, not even just us as black folks, like most Americans have only been conditioned to see white supremacy as like a motherfucker in a sheet on a horse burning a cross. When really the, that's not what it looks like in 2008. I mean, it still looks that way in 2018 sometimes, you know what I'm saying? But not all the time. But that's, I think that's why so many people have such a hard time connecting Obama and other uh, black agents of white supremacy yeah. to white supremacy. I think it's history, right? When we're talking about history, oftentimes, you know, we hear like Thanksgiving just passed. 1492, Columbus sailed the blue. Like, why the fuck do I still know that shit? For real, I'm like, I'm 25 years old, I'm like, 1492, Columbus the boo. Like, that's some third grade shit I was indoctrinated in. I for in. sure never learned that, nigga. I, I mean, you, you, you Berkeley, nigga, like, some people was like, right. I don't know what school you went to, nigga. Berkeley's more, Oh you know, my God, what? Like, I don't know, some people was related with me, this nigga hating on me right now, it's, it's good. I'm just a band, bro, I never heard that shit. Well, I, I remember that. But I remember at my school, they had, us, they had us dress up as, like, pilgrims and Indians. Oh, hell no, that's how... Like, there's been show a photo of me dressed up like that, like... Burn that shit. Yeah. Burn it. Find it and burn it, bro. Because somebody gonna find that shit in a post on Twitter, like, oh, look at this nigga Blake don't crack. I'm like, fuck, man. <laughs> they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna put it... They're gonna do, like, the um, the little side-by-side picture. It's gonna be you and your little pilgrim fit, and then you wearing your, like, panther shit. Who can you trust? Type shit. <laughs> can't trust who can, niggas, man. who can you trust? Guy. Type shit. But I think we say that to say, like, I... I was saying that to say is like it's important to understand the history of this nation. Oftentimes it's like we don't want to tell the truth about how this nation was founded. It's like, you know, the American dream man, and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Liberty and justice for all. But like you have fucking slaves, bro. Your teeth was literally slave teeth, bro. Like that whole story with uh, was George Washington, right? He had fucking slave teeth. That that's he literally stole teeth. Like that's disgusting. But that's how disgusting these people were, are right. We you know there's not a lot. I don't know what the difference is between like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Donald Trump. In my opinion, it's like they still some white cishet males, right? With money, with land, right? And what are they doing? Terrorizing black people. Right, so I think it's important to understand the history of, like, this country was literally founded on genocide. This history was founded, this country was founded on the enslavement of black people. That's facts. But, you know, you go to Texas and you open up a textbook and it says black people immigrated here. That shit ain't, that shit ain't That's cool. what they call them being put yeah. on a ship by force? By immigration? Force immigration. That's wild. Never yeah. seen it. They say the, vic- the victor tells Involuntary the immigration. So they probably call it involuntary immigration. Black folks is refugees. Like black Americans, like who like literally had been born in this country, right, or enslaved in this country. You feel me? Like are literally refugees, but we oftentimes don't see black people as refugees. I think about my own family. You feel me? My family from Louisiana, right? My great granddaddy, he was a sharecropper, right? He was a dope ass sharecropper. This nigga was growing hell as shit, right? You feel me? But guess who he upset? The white man in the Ku Klux Klan. Right, because he was doing better than the white farmers. So what happens is a cross gets burnt right on his lawn. He picks up his family, all right, it's time to go. Then they migrate to Oakland and Berkeley, Alameda. Right? What are we taking everything you got and just fleeing? Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a refugee. But we oftentimes we don't look at the condition that black people live in today as that status. Like, oh no, we've been here for two hundred, three hundred and fifty years. If 
slavery ended so long ago, we could just, you know, everything is cool. Nah, we still living under the same constitution that call us three-fifths of a people. Right? Three-fifths, that's what I said, right? Yeah. Three-fourths, man. It's all good. You know, if I was born, I was born. <laughs> hey, old mamas, I'm like, if they would've gave us three-fourths, niggas might've been chill. Niggas, fuck you, niggas. 75%? Okay, we still got something at Kmart. Shit, it's good. <laughs> Shout out, shout out all my three forks out there. Game, game. Hey, I'm for real. Hey, I'm gonna change my Twitter name to Three Forks for the beat. Oh my God, Three Forks? That is groundbreaking. Oh, mama, if they'd have given us Three Forks, she would be a whole lot different right now. Period, nigga. Three Forks? I'm fucking with Three Forks. That means like they, that's, what? what? Damn, we in our bag right now. We three fourths, man. We, we out. We all party, man. We need to start a movement. Three fourths. Three fourths. The three fourths movement. Three fourths movement, nigga. Let us at least get three fourths of a scholarship. Start the petition right now. Come on. Come on. Start the petition right now. Three fourths, nigga. I'm with it. That's how fucked up this fucking country is. Like, damn, we cool out being three quarters, nigga. Like, yeah. Fuck. Hey. When they yelled out three fourths, I was like, ooh. That sounds kind of nice. That's why I was like, did I say something? Like, oh, might be on to something. Shit. <laughs> Hella black, episode 28. Wow, we're locked the fuck in. Ooh, this is lit. We live at, are we in LA? Yeah. We, is this actually LA? Because I know, yeah. Because I don't know, sometimes, you know, like, I'll go to, I went to Berkeley, you feel me? People be saying, people be saying LA, but they really from like Santa Clarita. Hey, niggas. <laughs> hey, no. Niggas say LA, they got LA and they buy them, but they really from LA County. Oh. I'm like, what oh, my mama. Hey, I swear. I'm like, how many niggas are from neighborhood? How many niggas can actually be from there? Everybody named mama from neighborhood when I meet them from LA. Hey, shout out to Inglewood. You know, I got my son Inglewood out there. My nigga David in the back, you feel me? Oh, my nigga. What's happening? <laughs> Rocking. Hey, we going to service phone tomorrow, bro? They closed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, ain't that some shit? Well, I guess we gotta settle with Chick Fil A, but they some, they some, you know. Chick-fil-A I don't know. I heard Roscoe's in your ass for real. That's what I've been hearing. So it's like there's certain, it's like seven of them, right? Which one do I need to go to? That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I ain't saying Roscoe's trash. Roscoe's is trash. What's the one? What's the one off Sunset? I've been there and it was boo. <laughs> hey, that shit, that shit was trash. I didn't hear bitten to a frozen fry. Hood, hood. Right. Capital hood and then like lowercase hood. Yeah. The one on Sunset was ass. I never know where I am when I'm in LA for real. I never know where I am. Well, fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, I was know. talking to my nigga David, though. That wasn't just a fuck you to everybody. That was, <laughs> like, that's we actually, like, I, I, that's we, my we nigga. That nigga. That's my nigga for real. We don't just be spewing hate. Hey, do we really got to be out of here at 730? For real? Like, they going to come in here and kick us out? Nah, yeah. we're going to start a protest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hell with black. You know, we got, we got at least 20 more minutes. Something like that. Um, I don't know. But not all, your, not all your skin is your kin. That was, like, the main message. But it's like, 
you know, sometimes people think integration is cool. Like, oh, we're supposed to integrate into a white society on stolen land and somehow become free. That's because integration looks lit on paper. It do. On paper, it looks hella lit. You can go to LMU, you can get a three-quarter scholarship. Integration is fucking cool, bro. (laughs) On paper, integration looks lit as fuck until you start actually experiencing what it's like to be in white spaces. I think one of the why, you know, why history is so important, right? If you look at one of the last conversations that Martin Luther King had, Martin Luther King is one of the most praised integrationists, right? They kind of de-revolutionized his ideas, right? But in his last, you know, conversation with Harry Belafonte, he said, I think I've integrated my people into a burning house. It's 2018 and the house is still on fire. You feel me? That shit is such an important quote, bro, because you see so much these days, you see so many people that are so-called a part of the movement pushing integration. We need to bank black. We need more black police officers. We need a black president. Like, nigga, this is a system. I say this shit all the time, bro. Like, expecting some a black person to be the head of the system is like expecting, uh, you know, a black driver to get inside the car and the car supposed to operate differently. Nah, nigga, the car gonna do what the car's designed to do. Still and that's Honda. fucking ride and drive. And we get whether we get a black police officer, a black uh, DA, black President, the shit, the system is gonna function the way this design to function, and that's to keep black folks at the bottom of this shit. White supremacy isn't a question of individualism, right? White supremacy is systemic. You could join a cop and be like, you know, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a good cop. Is there such thing as a good cop when the foundation of policing in this country is founded on slavery? I remember, we, I remember we read some shit that was like, black cops are more likely to shoot an unarmed black person, or shoot a black person in general, than a they white shoot, cop. Yeah, I think they shoot at the same rate. I believe is the statistic. So what's the, what's the difference, my nigga? So it's like, oh, you want more black cops? Like, nigga, the black cops still got a Glock. I ain't still, trying to get still got that blue on. Nigga, that blue yeah. come before everything. It's that, it's that blue line, right? So it's like people are like, oh, if only we had a community police force. I'm like, bruh, y'all know who created community policing? Bill Clinton. That weirdo was on some other shit, Right? We talk about, oh, we got to vote Democrat, vote Republican, vote blue. I'm like, bruh, they the same shit. Pepsi and Coke. They still going to kill you, right? What might be a little bit less poison? You know, Hillary Clinton, she got elected, man. She hate black people. What the fuck? Calling niggas predators and shit. Super predators. We have to get these super predators off the street, right? Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton literally went on a whole campaign for mass incarceration. And then she defend like a rapist in court or some shit with his lawyer? Yeah. Got the nigga off. So, but hey, you know, we'd be cool with a Hillary Clinton presidency. I'm like, nah, bro. And then people be like, oh, Kamala Harris is running for president. People want to talk about Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is a district attorney. She is super cop. Like, she was a she was a, a AD in uh, Oakland. Mom was talking about it. Like, oh yeah, I heard about Kamala Harris when I was growing up. She was locking niggas up. She was ruthless, like smiling. I was like, oh shit, yeah. right? But she literally made her whole career as a district attorney, and now she she's senator. She was the attorney general of the state of California. That's a cop. That's a op. That's the highest level of a cop, nigga. Yeah, like shit. you don't even have to carry a gun. The type of shit, like you a super cop, like you just got superpower or some shit. Like some shit happened to you, you just have ten cops. Just, whoo, I don't know. You know what this got me thinking of, bro? Probably my my lowest moment in a very long time. Uh, for the first time in my life, I voted this year. And I got to say, I've never felt worse. Like, filling out that ballot, you can ask Blake. I had to text this nigga, like, hey, how do I register to vote? 
I never thought I never thought the day would come. I, <laughs> I never thought the day would come. He ain't lying. I swear. I got, I got the receipts. I can post them after you feel me. I waited till like the twelfth hour to vote too, nigga. I swear to God, I was I was fighting that shit off. I was fighting it hard. But we had we had a, a black woman in Oakland named Cat Brooks. Brooks who was running. Who I've been like front line and some shit with. Almost got arrested with Cat. Yeah, so like, and Cat has like given us hella game for our breakfast program in Oakland. As far as like when we do when we need to do like emergency organizing type shit, Cat was giving us game. So I'm like, okay, although I don't fuck with the system, maybe Cat might go in there and spark some shit. I don't know, and I feel like I'm contradicting myself by saying, no, nah, you know, because at first I, I'm saying like the system gonna work the way the system wanna work. Um, and honestly, I feel like if we ever do get a, a revolutionary person in. In ingrained into the system and they stay revolutionary, they're gonna get knocked down. And by not like they're gonna die. Like there's no way that they're gonna be able to flourish up in that system and really make some change. Especially uh, like thinking about Oakland, you feel me? Oakland is the history of the Black Panther Party and Black Power. You feel me? Like we coming from a place that is like people really rock like people love talking about the Panthers and you know having the little black berets on. But people really don't know what like Panthers was really rocking. Oh my lord. Niggas bro. was in the field strapped. And not just in not Cox just in strapped. not just in America either. The niggas was locked in. And when we think about solidarity, too, you feel me? Like, the Vietnam War is happening, right? One of the points of the uh, Black Panther Party was uh, no black man should have to fight in the war, right? But this nigga Huey Dewey was, like, sending shit to the Viet Cong, like, hey, bro, I'm going to send Panthers to you, bro. It's good, bro. I'm going to send some Panthers to you to fight against the U.S., to fight against imperialism, right? Think about that in the 60s. You feel me? Like, that's, that's, that's some real shit, but people want to, I don't know. I feel a certain type of way about like this whole Black Panther aesthetic. I hate the shit, bro. Yeah. We did a we did an article with Playboy. Y'all probably didn't even get to see it. But the first thing they did was call us the new Black Panthers. I hit the niggas so fast, like, oh hell no. Nah. <laughs> Delete that shit right now. Right now. For one, I when people be so quick to call themselves the Panthers, that's how I know niggas don't read. That's how I know niggas not really understanding the impact of the Panthers. I'm nowhere near what a Panther was doing. Like, for one, the bar right now to be considered a new Black Panther, the bar is so low. The bar is the floor. All you got to do is, you feel me, dress up in your little your little fit, Have an Instagram feed flick. some houseless people a couple of times, and get a strap, and you a Panther. <laughs> I'm not with that shit. I really had uncles and aunties and shit that was in the Panthers. Like, my they not even... The party too. Bro, if my uncle would have saw that, mm, nigga, yeah. no, I was not fucking with it. But again, bro, it really comes to, like, all things with black culture, it's, it's a way to fucking, you know, just make it popular. But that's like one thing I cannot get with is folks, the minute they start doing some type of philanthropy work and you black, the minute you start doing something that looks like it doesn't fit the system, you automatically align with the Panthers. And for me, I'm like, all right, I think the work that we do is valuable and I think it's dope, but like, nigga, the Panthers is on some whole other shit. Am I ready to go over to, you feel me, to the Middle East and fight against the U.S.? Nigga, I'm right here at LNU speaking. (laughs) Come on, man. I know it's a place in the movement for everybody, but y'all just be careful of motherfuckers who so quick to align themselves with the Panthers. Because the work that they did is going to outlive all of us. And we still Fuck got that. Panthers locked down right now. And niggas ain't put no money on these niggas' books. Niggas ain't writing these niggas no letters. These people, you know, wearing blue vests and shit, you know, making hella money off the movement. You feel me? People just, you Damn, know, this doing nigga. all this shit. But, like, how many of the niggas has actually put money on the books and niggas who are still locked down? Niggas holding up their fists real quick, but won't even tap in with the niggas that's still out there in prison right now. Come on. Niggas love talking about Ferguson and shit, but ain't putting no money on the books of the organizers who in jail for that shit. Ain't sending the, ain't sending the families of the organizers that's been killed because of Ferguson. Ain't, ain't doing nothing to take care of them people. This niggas in Ferguson still down right now. 
right? Simply for protesting. Literally, like imagine that we just went outside right now. We got our, feel me, we out there, not even, not even violent with our shit. Still down right now. Yeah. Haven't done anything violent. For real though, free my uncle though. That nigga Joel Luther King. He is a, he was in the Black Panther Party. He been locked down for forty seven years. Like locked down for a minute. Like this nigga was like eighteen years old when he got locked down. You feel me? Imagine like there's people in here who are probably eighteen years old, right? Imagine being eighteen and being locked down and being called like literally the Cointel Pro. Like Richard Nixon had a file on his ass, an eighteen year old. Richard Nixon, like the president, is worried about an eighteen year old, right? Yeah. So free Jaleel, you feel me? Jaleel went to came look his case up. You feel me? You know, shout out to all the political prisoners. You feel me? Support political prisoners if you got a dollar. Put some money on their books. You feel me? Write a letter. Let them know you. You know you. You know who they are, right? Because imagine being so isolated. But niggas, they still be so tapped in. It's wild. Yeah. Like they be hella tapped in. I ain't gonna say how, but they be tapped in. <laughs> like, you know, people be snitching out here. Like, I'm like they don't even realize they snitching, but they snitching. Like dry snitching, a real thing. A lot of niggas is really snitching too. Like the niggas right. who be snitching on these sex workers. Oh, I don't fuck with them niggas. Niggas is ops for real. I don't understand how niggas can say they hate the police so much and then be snitching on sex workers. It was so wild when I slapped them first few threads. Are y'all familiar with what we, what we talking about right now? Is yeah. somebody not familiar? Uh, can you explain the situation? So basically there's a situation where I don't even know if it started with one person, but there's just like this thing on Twitter right now where motherfuckers are just like allegedly reporting sex workers to the IRS, right? Because like that's untaxed income. And it's what was wild to me, like, I expected from like a white man to do it to a black sex worker, right? I can I can get that, like, hey, white supremacy, I can get it. But when I was seeing like black folks do it, I was sick. Like you, was, I, I was seeing like, I seen a situation where a black man was like, yo, how can I cancel a transaction to a sex worker? Or like, yeah, get they ass. Like, yeah, you know, a lot of people don't see as sex work as actual work, though. That's a whole other situation. We don't got that much time, but, you know, that's another situation. But, yeah, it was, it was so wild to see somebody that could, people who are supposed to be so anti-police working with this police state. It's 306 for real. In the streets, you were on paperwork. People like, talk nigga, about street codes and shit. I'm like, bro, but you literally over here snitching on your Twitter page, bro. It was like, I was seeing certain niggas. I'm like, are you, nigga, What? I can't believe it. Y'all saying fuck Takashi six nine, fuck this and fuck that, but you like go snitch. Nah, niggas wasn't even saying fuck Takashi six nine. Niggas mm-hmm. was for sure protecting that pedophile. What niggas was saying was like, how you want to see your op in jail, but at the same time ready to report sex workers to the IRS. But that just goes to show, like nigga, niggas love that patriarchy for real. Like the fact that women can make some money that's not a tax tool, that's actually taking something from a man. You know, it's not even because you providing a service. So for one, yeah, I don't get it. What it is is that. When men can't control what women are doing, they will go to grave lengths to shut all that shit down. You're not finna get no money that I'm not attached to. You're not finna thrive in a situation that I'm not attached to. So yeah, they shutting it down. I don't fuck with it, you know. The niggas is ops. Any nigga that's working with the police is an op to me. I don't give a fuck who you snitching on. I don't fuck with you. What if you snitch on a white person? Is that is that being a snitch? No, I would never. I never called the police before <laughs> in my life, ever, and I would never will. I ain't gonna lie. I almost called 911 last week, bro. Because of the fires or something? Or yeah, I was getting there. Like, I have asthma. Like, you know, all these fires and shit. Like, I was in the gym, like, man, trying to get some push-ups in. You feel me? So you was going to call the ambulance, not yeah, the police. Yeah, but I still almost had to dial 911. Like, I had that shit dialed. Like, but I took my inhaler real quick. Don't bro. they have, like, a direct line to it? It's still 911, though, bro. We, we got to all get the... No, there has to be a direct line to 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you don't gotta call the police. If I call the ambulance and the police showed up, nigga, just let me die. <laughs> Put your hands on me, nigga. <laughs> just let me go, nigga, for real. Just let me go, nigga. God damn. I would be so bad if the last thing I saw was a nigga in blue. That's, hey, that's hell on, that's hell. The last thing you see before you die is a police officer. That's black hell. Yeah, we talk about black joy, that's black hell. I'm finna wake up with a fucking nightmare because this nigga talking about 12, like. Cold sweats. Bruh. But for real, people talk about freedom all the time. And people be like, oh, freedom is just, you know, I don't know. One thing that bothered me, and I think it's important to talk about, like, within the Black Lives Matter movement, niggas talk about hands up, don't shoot. Like, we're supposed to just put our hands up when we know these niggas are going to shoot? Regardless. Like, do black people in this country not have a right to self-defense? Do we not have a right to defend ourselves? Apparently not. By any means necessary, if it came to it? Like, I feel like a lot of people, like, I feel, you can, you know, you go walk in a room and you feel love. Like, I feel like there's a lot of love in this room, right? And I would hope that love, like, means, like, defending your people, right? Because I feel like revolutionary love is about loving yourself and loving your people and putting that love on the line to defend your people by any means necessary. So if you walk outside and somebody is harassing you, right, are you going to step in? You feel me? And I think it's it's important that we talk about this because a lot of times people are like, oh, we have the black people were just nonviolent. Like Martin Luther King is one of the most praised people who talked about nonviolence, but Martin Luther King's niggas had straps. Martin Luther King himself applied for a concealed gun permit. So I think Martin Luther King knew he was like, damn, yeah, it's like I can say nonviolence, right? <laughs> But that nonviolence shit might get you killed, P. Like for real, like that nonviolence, you know, that shit. Yeah, there's nothing we can do as black folks, uh, nonviolently, that can protect us from this white supremacist state. There are really, I, we've seen it all, bro. We've seen people, we've seen little kids get killed. We've seen motherfuckers in handcuffs get shot. So at this point, I have no, I don't know, I can't, I don't think of anything, I can't think of anything else we can do that will prevent us from being victims of this violent white supremacist state. Mm-hmm. I think here we, yeah. Here we say political power comes out the barrel of a gun. Why are we afraid of the police? Them niggas got straps, bro. They got all the straps. They got all these new technologies, right? It's like we think about COINTELPRO. We think about you know shit getting tapped. It's like, bro, you got your iPhone out. My iPhone is right here. That shit is recording. These motherfuckers know how to hack into shit. That's a weapon itself. Right. So I think it's really important that we talk about, like, what does self-defense look like in 2018? Right. Because I, I love my people. You feel me? And it's like it is our right like, to defend ourselves. Right. You could send me to jail. But if I went out knowing I was defending myself and defending, you know, my people. Shit. They're going to be, you know, it ain't going to be that cool. But, you know, I don't know if be down but whatever. But it's like I think we really have to think about self-defense in this country. Right. And I think self-defense doesn't also just look like a gun. Right. Mm-hmm. I think one thing we've talked about is like how self-defense also looks like survival programs. Right. Getting your people prepared. Right. So we haven't even talked about this shit, but we run a. Uh, it may, we could just I guess it'd be the last one before we do Q&A. But, you know, that's what I was going to say. What made me yeah. think about this recently was like the fire shit that happened. And I like, could you know, like when when natural disasters tend to happen, like shit can get really sick. You think about Katrina. Right. When that shit was happening, it was like white militia groups going. It was she was going down in New Orleans. 
And she, she was with, she was going down. You think about having all the people in the Superdome and shit. There was so much crime happening in that motherfucker, so much violence, and a lot of it being enacted by white folks onto black folks, right? So like white about, militias. Yeah, like white militias. So I think about in Oakland, we just had these. I know y'all had it out here too. I don't know how bad it was out here, but in Oakland, that shit lasted super long. And in the Bay, in, in Oakland, California, like the, the smoke and the air quality was bad for super long. So we think about in terms of like if an earthquake happens, right, and like shit just falls apart, and now we all displaced. Like my house crumbles, your house crumbles. Bro, we on a fault line. Like yeah. it gets bad. That could really happen. Hundred year old building I live in. Like <laughs> it was folks. It was folks in, in Butte, which is in Northern California. It was folks who sleeping in like Walmart parking lots, right? So imagine if we used to all get the place and we sleep in the Walmart parking lots. And it's white militia groups coming around. California, no yeah, California is home to some of the most. Like we have the most like white nationalist groups out of any place, out of any state. But you know, it's a blue state. People voted for Hillary. It's all good. It's like nah, outside of like the hoods and like the actual cities, California hella red. Butte, where all that those fires happened, Chico, that shit all hella red. Like Orange County, that shit hella red. I see that. The Panthers. I seen that. They and that, that that's that's violence, right? So when we talk about self defense, like bro, like we ain't joking about that shit, right? That shit is hella real. You feel me? And it's it's important that we uh in my opinion, we prepare. You know, especially like think about survival programs in Oakland after earthquakes, it's like who's the first people gonna who's gonna get help? The rich. Right. And we've seen this play out time and time again. These are like we've seen it happen. Like you say, judge shit by judge people by their actions, right? Like you think about what happened even with the was that Harvey that just happened in Houston? Yeah, the hurricane. Yeah, like the, the first people that are gonna get helped are the rich white folks. Right. I mean you see it out here, it's like private firefighters. The Kardashians Kardashians have like this is what like neoliberalism, right? The privatization the privatization. I almost stumbled my words. Privatization of public goods. Got somebody out of prison. <laughs> she could have hired you feel me some. Hey man, I gotta get your point. I'm getting hot just thinking about this shit. But literally, you could hire private firefighters, and that like the amount of money, the amount of uh, zeros you have in your bank account determines if your house is gonna stay. Right. So I think it's important. It's like have an earthquake kit. Like have a have a fire kit. You feel me? Like I have I have a little you know earthquake kit in, in a bag. You know, but it's like, all right, what good is the earthquake earthquake kit if you can't protect your earthquake kit? If you're gonna get robbed, you feel me? I'm not gonna say what I'm talking about, but I think you know what I'm talking about, right? You gotta protect yourself. You feel me? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, they said we have to be out of here at seven thirty. So is, it, is that still the case? A few more minutes for the Q and A. We good. Take your time. Take your time. I feel white. You said take your time. Oh yeah, it's good. It's good all the time in the world. Can we can we get into a Q and A portion real quick? Yeah. Is that cool? There are questions. I'm gonna be honest. We didn't put this disclaimer out there before, which we should have. Although <laughs> niggas do know a lot, we don't know everything. So if you ask me something that I don't know, I'm gonna tell you straight up. I do not know the answer to that. Yeah, chemistry. That's not my forte. I don't like giving people theory. I like giving people facts. <laughs> I don't want to say some shit, and then you go look it up, and it's completely wrong, and it was just like, oh, this is my opinion. So we're going to put that disclaimer out there real quick. If y'all ask us something, and we don't know, we're going to say it. Uh, so, yeah, any questions? Um, I wanted to make more of a comment about what you said about black women, like facts. Um, no matter what type of writing assignment I get or a project I get throughout school, I'm always focusing on black people. I will never write about white people in any of my papers. 
how I want to expand my knowledge as well. But um, I do have some statistics for everybody else. Like you said, because it is the fact that I'm actually currently writing a paper on like black infant mortality rate as well as like black women. Can everybody hear them? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh. No, could you stand up? Yeah. yeah. I think they, they want the mic. Oh, shit. Yeah, you locked up. <laughs> I'm like currently writing a paper for business law about like black mortality rates, infants dying and stuff like that. And there are actually statistics back from about like 1993. Um, so, of course, over time, like infant mortality rate has decreased because of other healthcare factors. But... Um, <laughs> no matter what, uh, the ratio has always been about two to three times more likely for black women or black infants. For instance, you look at it, 1940, the infant mortality rate for African-American women, for African-American women, yes, was 72.9%. For white women, it was 23.2%. Um, you go down to 1970, African-American women is 326 White women is 17.8, and then you get around 1989, and it's 17.7% for African Americans, but 8.2% for white women. So it also, like, I'm researching, like, other factors such as maternity, um, like, weight gain and weight loss for black women, healthcare, it's about 50% uh, of women. Black women at the time of delivery are still uninsured. Even throughout the pregnancy, still going to Planned Parenthood for business and stuff like that. So yeah, just wanted to throw some facts. Mm. We got some black scholars in this house, you feel me? Rocking. Anyone up? Yeah. Wanna come pull up so everybody can hear you for me? No, I'm cool. I thought pretty loud. Alright. So I got here a little late, so I'm not sure if this was addressed or not, but I'm just kinda curious because I live in Inglewood as of right now and I see the effects of gentrification every day. It's also affecting Crenshaw. I'm from Carson and Carson's been gone to white people for a minute. Um, Compton starting as well, and I know in the Bay you guys see it a lot, and gentrification has already begun, but my, I've always kind of questioned, like, okay, it started, but how do, we, how do we slow it down, how do we stop it, how do we try to preserve black space as much as possible, so, like, what is your take on that, and what are ways that you are going to combat it, if you have any, or do you know any ways to do it? Yeah, I mean, I don't have all the answers, I ain't sway, you feel me, but, like, <laughs> Oakland... Oakland is wild, and I, I'll speak on Oakland. I can't speak on, you feel me, out here because I'm not from out here. You, you had your hand up, David? I, I was going to say, you want to check out an organization called the Uplift Inglewood Coalition. Yes. Um, it's based out of the Social Justice Funding Institute in Inglewood, but also um, Sitting Miller and Stephanie. Um, they do a lot of organizing work, and one of the things that they're doing is, since the mayor in Inglewood is for gentrification, right? right um, is he black? <laughs> He's the nigga you were talking about. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, what you want to do is, like, or what the other thing we're going to be doing is, like, well, we see that the mayor, that the politics is on the side of, of developers. So, well, maybe we need to bypass the politics that go straight to the developers and target our organizers to death, right? Because they're the ones that pay for all the no one prop 10 ads. They're the ones that are, like, putting all the money into the policies that are affecting us, so let's go straight, let's take the fight to them, right? right? And let's alienate them and make them look evil. So in terms of strategy, that's what people are doing, right? And there's people on the ground right now organizing around. They meet every Tuesday from 4 to 6 at the Pacific Institute. So if you're trying to go, pull up.
Yeah, I think also like be tapped in with community organizations like what David was talking about, like Spit Justice is in the house too, you feel me? Lock in with Spit Justice, they doing hella good work, right? But I think the question to answer was about gentrification and how do we stop it, right? Like Oakland, like a lot of people come to Oakland and be like, oh, where the black people at? I'm like, niggas is still here. Like, niggas is still out here, you feel me? But, like, Oakland has for sure changed a lot, and a lot of it is due to the tech industry, right? So we have, like, Silicon Valley, Twitter, Instagram, Uber, all that shit is literally right in the Bay Area, right? So you have all these white people coming into historically redlined areas, right? Redlining was a process of essentially banks discriminating against black people, only live in this area, right? Disinvestment and the green line white people moved in, right? So historically black segregated communities that people, I guess, call the hood, right? The hood was created by white people, right? Now you see people coming in. I was like, bro, even where I live in West Oakland, I see like a white woman at midnight walking her dog with a golden retriever. I'm like, what the fuck? This shit crazy, right? This shit wild, not crazy. I'm working on it. Um, To stop gentrification, I don't know, like, I think my real answer is like, bro, like white supremacy. We've seen how white supremacy works, and I think we do know like it's rooted in capitalism, and we do know it's rooted in the gun. So I think sometimes you have to pick up the gun in order to eliminate the gun, in the words of Huey Newton. And I think you have to be able to organize, right? Like they're trying to build the A Stadium uh, in Jack London, which is like right next door to West Oakland, mm-hmm. right? And that is going to have a big effect. I know they're trying to build a stadium out here. I'm sure that's going to have a huge effect on the community, right? Because now all this money is coming in. These new, you know, all these gentrified houses, this shit look hella ugly to us. They all look the same. It's like you can see gentrification wherever you go in the United States because they have the same ugly-ass designs. It's like, y'all paying five racks for this, you know? They got the coffee, the coffee shops that be popping up that sell yeah. Oreos for like $7. Bro, they sell like avocado toast. Like, like I don't know what it is about avocado toast, but sometimes like white people pay like $10 for avocado toast. I don't get it. It's, I don't know. And the, ter- and the toast be burnt. Like, I don't know. But I think to start, to stop gentrification, it's really... It's about community building. I, I would say the first thing, right? So, like, me and Delincey, we organized together, right? But before anything about organizing, before the podcast, like, this is my brother. You feel me? It's my partner. And I think that's what's the most important about organizing is actually having genuine relationships with people. You can say fuck the police all you want, but, like, if you're really in the trenches, you feel me, fighting the quote-unquote revolution that everybody talk about, like, do you trust the person who's right next to you? Do you know the family of the person who's right next to you? Have you been to the, do you know their parents? Do you know their life story? Do you know the things they've been through? You feel me? So I think at the very the very foundation, and oftentimes we can get caught up like in different, you know, it's like clout and shit and all this, I don't know, social media. We can get caught up in different things. And it's like the, the relationship building, I think, is the very first thing that that is part of revolution. You can't talk about revolution without talking about like organic relationship building. In my opinion, um, how do we stop? Do you want to add to that? No. I mean, I just look at what's happened in like history. I think when stuff like this happens. Put this shit back on. <laughs> you tend to hear things like, oh, it'll bring more jobs, it'll bring this, it'll bring that. 
then I think about the kind of jobs it'll bring. Like, all right, so I think it might be working at the concession stands. Like, how much money is they? Uh, how much money are they about to make working at the concession stand in Oakland? I know, nigga, I'm barely getting by on my salary. Like, you just heard me say salary. You just, people for sure not getting by on hourly wages. So I look at that. They always use that as an excuse. I just want to bring more jobs. Uh, I think about as development like that has happened in Oakland, the surrounding properties have increased, so we know rent about to go up. Um, can we afford, can black folks even afford tickets to the game anymore? Because we know there ain't no black folks at the Warriors games. Bruh, the Warriors games used to be hell yeah. I don't think anything positive is going to come from it, for real. I don't know. It's why I got an ace tattoo on my arm, too. I'm, you know, I fuck with that shit, but <laughs> it's unfortunate. Want me to bring you the mic, bro? I can if you need to. Town business, man. Hello. Um, basically, I just had a comment about the gentrification um, and ways to potentially combat it, or just maybe just like thoughts that were provoked by, you know, the discourse that's happening here tonight. And um, so basically, I feel like how many black people live here? Black students are studying something outside of the social sciences. Like, okay, cool. We got a solid account here. Um, I went to I went to college as well. I studied some of the social sciences, like political science, sociology, and stuff like that. Um, but I feel like, like being in the Bay Area, like the tech industries and stuff like that. I seen something on Twitter. There's a lot of discussion about like with the information people find on Twitter and stuff like that. And um, it was about Amazon, and it said, I guess it was about Seattle or something like that, and it was like, uh, Amazon is bringing, Amazon isn't bringing 50,000 high-paying jobs to your city, it's bringing 50,000 people with high-paying jobs to your city, so that's not going to, that's not going to uh, embrace your community, that's going to replace your community. Ooh. So if you have people who are coming with these high-paying jobs already, high-paying salaries, yeah, that's going to displace people that are making $30,000 a year, $40,000 a year, working for $14 an hour at the concession centers at the Oakland Coliseum or, you know, the new Ram Stadium or wherever you are. Um, I feel like some of the opportunities, like, and I'm, once again, I'm speaking from the Bay Area, it's like a lot of tech industry stuff that's going on. Uh, excuse me, I hate when I say that. Um, but, like, a lot of stuff that's going on in the tech industry and stuff like that, you have to be knowledgeable in that realm to get those type of positions. And I also feel like, myself included, like I got a degree in political science. Like it's not many people of color that study like math for a major or science for a major or anything like that. And I feel like we should also kind of like go in that realm a little bit so we could also, it's not, I've been talking about this for a while, just a lot of thought provoking stuff. It's like, this kind of goes back to the integration, but you shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to integrate to be able to be a part of what's going on in society. And Hello. Um, but to make yourself, it's, I feel like it's just kind of like learning the playing field, understanding the playing field where you are. Um, you can't, you can't win at a game if you don't know the rules. It is a system. Uh, it is a system that you gotta kind of learn how to beat in some shape, shape, form, or fashion. You have to learn how to play within. You gotta learn how to bend the rules for it to benefit yourself. And it's, it's crazy. It's 
Hey, <laughs> see, we learning here. You feel me? <laughs> Yeah, the sweat song. Break it. You want to pass it? Yeah. I had to shit all the time. Okay. Uh, my question is, um, how did you come to like understand your privilege as a black man, and how do you educate your homeboys about it? Because like my biggest thing when I like in like converse with black men, um, not telling you. But <laughs> you can add the niggas in here, you know, it's good. It's a safe space. I'm just saying, like, I get a lot of pushback. Like, they always, like, well, they always don't make a booty joke. So, like, I'll be seriously trying to, like, explain to them, like, these are things that, like, if you want to be free and, like, you want to think outside your, you know, your box, you have to understand. Like, you have privilege as a black man, and I think sometimes when you live in the hood, you don't really see that. You're like, I don't, but you're in college, and you get this, and you get that, and I'm like, well, you don't understand. So, what I'm, like, experiencing here, or how I'm treating here, or, like, how I'm going to be more successful than ever, like, academically, So the way I came into my understanding of privilege was through a lot of labor by black women, black trans folks, black queer folks, and black disabled folks. Like I was lucky enough to have some friends who were patient with me, uh, and like, I try to pay them back, like literally, like with actual money now. Cause I was <laughs> really labor like that's like I, I like I said I experienced it today trying to talk to somebody and telling them facts and them still ignoring everything I said um so yeah that, that was a big part for me I was lucky to have some close friends Khadijah Anthony Khadijah Anthony and Blake I would say are like three people who really took the time with me to um like really push my thinking and it wasn't also I think for me I really was someone that really wanted to see liberation I was just ex- not hanging around the right folks I was surrounded by people who would feed me lies that I was the most oppressed person in America as a black man. Uh, so you're going to encounter situations where folks claim they want liberation, like black men, for example, claim they want liberation, but as soon as you start speaking in solidarity and alignment with the black trans movement, the black queer movement, the black disabled movement, and they not acknowledging that, you already know the type of person you're dealing with for real. Uh, so I think for me, it was actually wanting to see Black liberation for all folks that, you know, played a role in it. But really, you know, like I said, my friends putting in a lot of emotional labor. So, like, today I really got to see that emotional labor for the first time. I mean, like, you, I feel like, like, well, most niggas in here, most, uh, like, if you identify as a male in here and you in a group chat with other trash men, like, you hear the shit that niggas say. And it'd be wild for me. I'd be having conversations with my homies and, like, even just trying to get them to change the language that they use, right? Because... I feel like sometimes people ask me, well, how could you be friends with him? I'm like, well, if I don't talk to this nigga, who that's putting the labor on somebody else for one, or who will. So it's like, I got cousins and shit, I got uncles and shit, I got a daddy, you know what I'm saying, who is trash by every sense of the word, right? Um, but for me, I just try to take that labor so that the folks who, you know, that identify as something other than a cishead man don't got to do it. Uh, if the shit is hard, I'm sure you know it, all y'all know it, if you identify as anything other than uh, a male, the shit is really hard, it's frustrating, and I... I don't know. And you also got to be able to draw a line. Like at some point, I realized, like, okay, this nigga's an op. Like, that's just what it is. Like, this nigga is not going to change his mind. His mind is made up. That's the enemy. And, like, no matter how much, you know, I think people got to want to change at the same time as, you know, you're giving them the avenue and the tools and the resources to change.
That sounds really right. wild, bro. Yeah, that's something else. I don't know about that. Um, I think for me, it was I took a class on intersectionality by Dr. Jay Finley at UC Berkeley. They were a PhD student, a PhD candidate at the time. And that class just, like, transformed my worldview. Like, uh, this nigga Amir left, left sent this on Twitter. He, he was the GSI. And just taking that class and learning about intersectionality, like, that changed how I, I, like, I didn't get what intersectionality was. Like, for me, when I first heard the word, I was like, what is that? Like, it was big for me. So I was literally in office hours, like, I don't understand it. And, and Dr. J was like, but you do. You talk, you, you understand it. So, like, literally, like, they drew it in the circles, like, this is what intersectionality is. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Right? So part of it is also just shit reading. You feel me? Watching a YouTube video. Like, it's like, we live in the age of information, right? It's like, you can watch a video of Kimberly Crenshaw talking about intersectionality. Right? There's some we have, there's so much information out, you know? But it's also, like, I remember, like, when I was a junior in college, I didn't know what pronouns were. Like, but my close, uh, my close friend at the time, their partner used they, them pronouns. And they kept saying they. I was like, what is, what is they? Like, I, like, at that point, I didn't know what that meant. But they explained it to me. I was like, okay, for sure. Bet. Like, how do I learn more? You know, so I think it's also, you have to be willing to learn. And I think you don't have, the, the labor should not be put on the person who's experiencing the trauma the most or experiencing the oppression the most. You feel me? So I think it's, I think that's why we try to speak about it. You feel me? Like, we're not saying, like, this is, oh, what we learned. It is what we learned, but we're not saying we created this knowledge, right? But we, we're trying to pass this information. You feel me? So, like, one thing I also help run, like, in my work role is, like, barbershop talks. Right, it's where we get a bunch of black men into the room, right? Haircuts, niggas want a free cut, you know, especially in college. It's like, you know, it's especially if you ain't from like the Bay, you don't know where a barber is. You feel me? So we bring in barbers, and we're literally the last conversation we had about what was about consent, right? And I realized that a lot of the men in the room have never had an open conversation about what consent is. Grown ass men, right? So I think, like, it's about educating people, right? And it isn't up to the people experiencing the, you know, the oppression to educate, right? I think it's people, like, with privilege, like, we have to learn, you feel me? And we got to check our, our check our partners, you feel me? Have these conversations. And I think you can't, I think we also live in a cancel culture, too, right? Like, it's like, are you, especially in colleges, it's like you said one thing wrong, oh, you canceled. It's like, but also, you just learned about intersectionality yesterday, now you roasting your grandma at Thanksgiving dinner for not knowing what the world what the word intersectionality is like. Grandma, how come you don't know what intersectionality is? Have you read Crenshaw? I was like, bro, you just read that in your syllabus like last week. You feel me? Like, I don't even know if you gonna get the full ID right if you take the midterm. Like, it's chill. So I think it's about like learning the information. But like, I'm grateful that people have patience with me. You know, and I think we have to. Uh, but there's a line, too. Like, if you want some trash, I'm not, like, you don't got to be, you know, somebody on some trash shit is like, bro, nah, we don't have to have patience with everything. The mic's still out there. Somebody want to grab it. Two, two, 11 on the, two minutes? We got well, two more questions? Two more sure. questions. I'm going to give my experience as a 
black student at a PWI, and I want Blake to like really bring this question home just because he has a lot more experience in his room than I do. Because I went to the University of Idaho, right? Coming from Oakland, California. For those that don't know about Idaho, it's white. Period. <laughs> like, in every sense of the word, it's white snow falling from the sky, and it's white people all over the place. Um, but like literally, like even now as I'm like replaying my experience back in my head as a as a black student at the University of Idaho, um, my organizing as a black student looked way different than what Blake's organizing as a black student at Cal looked like. I think for the most part at the University of Idaho. Um, all the, the black students were student athletes, right? So you think about the track team, the basketball team, and the football team. That was, did I say basketball? Yeah. That, that was that was all the black students. And I think what black organizing looked like for us was, you feel me, the, the times we would all come together on the weekends and just kicking and shit. But it was wild as, as, as a student up there, um, you know, like they, for black, for black student athletes, depending on the kind of program you're in, for us, like school, there was nothing that was on our mind except for the sports. So I look at my experience. There was so much anti-black shit, black shit happening on campus that I was just not even like I was hip to it because I'm from the town, but it was like also not a part of my reality because I was playing ball. I can't think of a black student that went to Idaho that identified as black that didn't play a sport. Uh, so like when I was talking to Blake when I first came back and I seen the work that they were doing at Cal, that shit was like mind blowing for me because I had never been exposed to that except for when I was at Berkeley High. Like Berkeley, I am like the first African American studies department, right? Um, so yeah, I had been so disconnected from that kind of organizing that it was wild for me to come back to Oakland, Berkeley, and see the shit that that Blake was doing. So Blake gonna tell you how to lead a revolution as a black student at a campus. Yeah. yeah. I think so. I was a student athlete, and I think a very similar experience. Even at Berkeley, it's, it's 2.9 percent black on a good day, and we know a lot of black people checking the box or non-black people are checking the box. Like, literally, like, there's non-black people checking the box, like, saying they're black. I don't know why. Affirmative action ended in, what, 1996, right? Something like that. I don't know. Fact check me. Um, So it's like, for me, being an athlete, the only other black people I knew was niggas on the football team, basketball team, and track team, right? So, like, it's very separated. It might be the same case even on this campus, right? The black athletes sometimes, it's not, all right, for sure. Well, while, you know, Berkeley is very separated. So you have the black athletes and you have the black student population, right? And it's such a small population where, like, half of the 3% are athletes, right? So you have 1.5% students, right, that you might not see, right? So I think that was very challenging and isolating as, like, a black student athlete. I'm like, why am I only seeing athletes? You feel me? Um, but I got really politicized, I would say, in high school around Oscar Grant. But then the second coming of it was around Mike Brown. Um, so we organized a lot with the, the Black Student Union, and uh, we shut down like the main campus eatery, I guess you would call it, the Golden Bear Cafe, uh, for four and a half hours. Like literally, like we kicked everybody out the cafe. Like niggas was ready to go to jail. Like we had jail support and shit. You feel me? Like, but we literally shut down the cafe for four and a half hours in solidarity with people in Ferguson, right? And having the demands that Ferguson had up, right? Just, just to be in solidarity. But before that, niggas from Ferguson came to Berkeley. He's like, what y'all niggas doing? Like, Tef Poe, like, he came out to Berkeley. He was like, what are y'all doing? And kind of challenged us, right? So we just, the black community at the time, I would say, was very, uh, I don't know. It was a lot of drama. I mean, it's kind of a lot of drama when you're 3%, you know, and you're, like, all black and, like, I don't know. all Like, you might not all get along. It's like, you know, 3% is small. Like, we all, we ain't the same. You feel me? So there was a lot of drama, but, like, what was beautiful about the struggles, we all came together, 
we um, had 10 demands for institutional change at UC Berkeley. Um, one of the demands was to found a, a black resource center on campus. Um, so a lot of our organizing is like, we did hella organizing. Like, we shut down Cal Day. Cal Day, that shit was wild. That shit was hella wild. I'm looking at David because he knows what I'm talking about. Like, we literally, Cal, like, Seder Gate is the entrance to UC Berkeley's campus. There's 40,000 plus people on campus that day. And we like 20 niggas deep and we shut that down. <laughs> arm in arm. Like, nah, y'all ain't getting through here. These are our demands. Chancellor Dirks, you need to meet our de 10 demands right now. You feel me? And what do we white people were running through like it was Red Rover? Like, I for real was hella mad. Like, you feel me? Like, I'm pretty calm these days, but I'm also an Aries. You feel me? If you run out my people, you feel me? If you run out my people, bro, like, this nigga David was damn near pulling me back. Like, I was really chasing after a motherfucker because he ran through. I was like, bro, nah, you're not crossing the picket line today, homie. Like, <laughs> yeah, almost, 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 yeah, I might not have been here. But thank you, thankful, you know, David, you know, another, <laughs> he stopped my ass. Right? But, like, we literally, like, as organizers, we put our bodies on the line to fight for the next generation of black students. Like, the office that we had for black students was hella small. Six people could fit in there. If I'm in there, you know, I'm, I'm not the smallest person, you know, maybe three people could fit in there, right? Like, it's hella small, right? So uh, we fought for a resource center. We fought for more resources. And now it's like I work at the center, right? I teach there. Um, but because of black student organizing, our budget has literally... What's oh, quadruple? What's five times? It's five times what it was? I don't know. It's, it's called what? Contemplate. Contemplate. Man, I ain't saying that. <laughs> so, like, but because of, like, black student organizing, you feel me? Like, our budget, we have a big-ass budget now. We have three full-time staff. Like, and I've literally seen the change of, you know, from being a, a, a full-time staff there to seeing, like, what the students come in with, right, and the resources they have, night and day compared to what I had into what, like, people out, you know, fought for had. Like, it's, it's many how things have changed. Um, but I'm also very critical of it, too. Like, I think black students also is like we sometimes we focus just on black students, but we don't think about the community outside. It's like we ain't too far from Inglewood. I saw the stadium when we was, uh, you know, flying in and all turbulence and shit, right? But, like, how are we tapping in with the community and how are we bringing resources in from whatever campus you're on back to the hood? Right, because we're privileged being in these spaces, in these college spaces. So how do you bring money back from your campus to the hood? I think it would be something that I, I think we didn't do enough of, but I think it's important to be critical of. David, you had your hand up? Yeah, uh, was this real quick? Uh, did you ask a question about? I did. All right, what's up, fam? Um, so uh, one thing you want to do, right, you got to, like, like, one of the things you did at Berkeley, right, um, that I'm sure Blake would speak to if we talk, like, me and David, we rocked together. We was organizing this shit like five years strong in the mother. Shout out to my nigga, bro. <laughs> Hopping out the car, going. Yeah, that's another topic. <laughs> Hello. Like, 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 so 
right? Like, let's say they're cutting African Americans in classes, right? Like, well, you might need to highlight the academic senate, right? You know, the ones that's, that's making these decisions, right? Maybe that needs to be an organizing target. So all of that stuff matters, right? When it comes down to organizing, it's knowing your context, knowing your problems, and then building a campaign and strategy based on those problems, right? Um, and again, like I said, I'm local, you know, and I do this shit for fun. So, you know, <laughs> I'll have to go ahead and Y'all fucking with hella black? Yeah. Okay. For sure. I over our time. Yeah, I think we probably had our time, but y'all got y'all phones with you? Yeah. So one big help, you feel me? Like, we've straight independent, you feel me? Everything we've done has been hella independent. We have no corporate sponsorships, you feel me? But, you know, if you get Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review. That shit will be lit. Subscribe, you feel me? That'll be lit. We also on Patreon. You know, we have some extended episodes up there, but we usually, that's like, if you're white and you listen to our shit, pay up, because I don't think white people should listen to what we're talking about for free, because this shit is labor, and we do research, and slavery, you know, we ain't fucking with that shit, so pay the fuck up, hello. Uh, (laughs) But thank y'all so much, you feel me? Like, it's dope as fuck to see so many people in here rocking with us. Thank y'all for having us. We're up to all my beautiful black people. But you know... We on the gram at Hello Black Pod, you feel me? If you learned something today, you know, follow us on the gram. Add us, you know, hashtag Hello Black Podcast. Um, I'll be doing the social media, so I'll be thinking about that shit.